0: I've always liked the terminal. I always, always liked the terminal. I was talking to Lee the other day, and he was like, he says, Who doesn't like the terminal? I said, Well, apparently everyone else.
1: (laughs) 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 I'm Frank Dixon. I'm the director of uh, customs and uh, border protection here at JFK, which means that I help people with their immigration problems. Now, uh, we're looking for an interpreter for you. How are we doing? Do we have an interpreter? Uh, But I understand that you speak a little English. Yes. Oh, you're good. Yes. Okay. Good. I hope you don't mind if I eat while we talk. I have a bit of bad news. It seems that your country has suspended all traveling privileges on passports that have been issued by your government. And our State Department has revoked the visa that was going to allow you to enter the United States. That's it in a nutshell, basically, Anyway, it seems that while you were in the air, there was a military coup in your country. Now, most of the dead were members of the Presidential Guard. They were attacked in the middle of the night. It was a terrible firefight. Uh, they got it all on GHN, I, I think. Anyway, there were very few civilian casualties, so I'm sure your family's fine. Mr. Noworski, your country was annexed from the inside. Republic of Krakosia is under new leadership. Krakosia! Krakosia! <laughs> Krakosia, right? Mm. I don't think... Uh, I don't think he, he gets it. Okay. Uh, let me... Let me. Okay. Look. Imagine that these potato chips are Krakosia. Okay? Uh, Krakosia. Krakosia. Yes. Krakosia. Okay. Okay. Uh, so the potato chips are Krakosia. Okay? okay? Uh, and this apple. Big apple. Big apple. The big apple. Represents the Liberty Rebels. Okay? No more Krakosia.
2: I mean, that's the reason I sort of jumped on this, because I was just like, well, I think we're going to do the Terminal, and you responded back. You're like, oh, I love the Terminal. I'm like, all right, you're the man then, because I'm like, <laughs> you're going to be the only one I talk to, I think, that, that says that.
1: Oh,
0: definitely. But anyway, right, do you want to get into it? I- I'm ready. Man. Yeah, let's let's
2: set it up. All right, let's set up. up. Uh, so this is uh, Jason Michael joining me for the grand gesture, and... Uh, as I was getting into with him he's he's the man for the job he he you know spoiler alert he actually likes this film he's, yeah, a, he's I really a big do. fan so i always prefer that especially if we're going to do like a half hour on uh, love stories i would prefer someone not come in and talk about how shitty and unconvincing all of this is because that's that's no fun so uh, <laughs> we've got a little bit of a of a homer here although i always reference you as the uh, my canadian friend so and that's the sad right, thing okay. is actually I actually Canadian have other people friend. in uh you know, the podcast community that are from Canada, but I guess they don't deserve the moniker because you get you get the title of the Canadian friend and they're just <laughs> Canadians. So uh that's my compliment to you. But uh, yeah, before we get into it, tell people a little bit about what you do over at Atlantic Screen Connection.
0: Oh Well, I mean, I've been on the show before. They know a little bit. Uh, you know, Mike introduced me. My name is Jason Michael. And uh, I'm from the Atlantic Screen Connection podcast, a podcast that I co-host with Mr. Lee Brady. And uh, we do uh, deep dives into movies. We love taking films apart, bringing literary criticism to them. Uh, sometimes a little bit of philosophy. So it's probably one of the most pretentious podcasts out there, but we have a good time. So you might want to check it out uh, so you can find us on your podcatcher of choice and Mike will probably put it in the show notes. It'd be fun for you
2: guys to drop in. Just put more work on me. I like that. If you, As long as you stayed on there, you kind of <laughs> force me later to do it because I'll be editing this. I'm like, well, got to take a moment, get the links together. And uh, yeah, it'll, it'll take me five seconds, but I'll be, I'll be cursing you the entire five hey, seconds
0: of that. No problem. That's good.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Um, all right, so yeah, this came out in 2004. Uh, I believe this was a summer movie. I, th- I think it was. Yeah, you know, I don't think it was positioned as some sort of Oscar bait thing in the fall nah. uh, or winter. Um, and yeah, Tom Hanks, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Uh, it was very much marketed as a comedy. I don't know if it was marketed as a romantic comedy necessarily because uh, for the first. I don't know, 40 minutes. It, it takes a while before you're even introduced to the, the female lead here. For the most part, it's like a an airport version of Castaway for the Hanks character. This this man with, uh, unfortunately for him, he just picks the wrong exact time to travel to the yeah. U.S.
0: I actually saw it more of a, a the Shawshank Redemption. I know that's a weird way of looking at it. Okay, yeah. I, mean,
2: I was thinking of him eating ketchup and trying to figure out the quarters in the airport. Like, you, you see him uh, sort of you know, learn the ropes of how to survive when he's told that he can't leave the airport uh, to go to New York City and he can't go back home either. So he's he really is. I mean, I, I don't know what they expect him to do in this situation, but uh Stanley Tucci, the Tooch, as the guys over at uh, True Romance call him I love him playing the heel here. The heel, man. He just has no love for Hanks. Ah uh, uh, that's this, where I disagree with you, plight.
0: man. I completely disagree. You're so. gonna have to
2: convince <laughs> me on this. You know, the grand gesture oftentimes we're like, okay, here's Here it is. Here's the big romantic uh, swoon that you can expect here. So, when we get to that part, I hope you have convinced me about the Tooch and his, you know, what he he was really aiming for here, because I I think he's one cruel bastard. And that that was one of the things that I didn't like about the film when I watched it.
0: Alright. I don't know. I mean, to me, it's one of Spielberg's most clever films. He's actually playing with the form of comedy. I think romantic comedy, specifically, obviously, because of the fact that there's romance involved. But, um... To me, like I said, it was a little bit of the Shawshank, the idea that there's, um, you know, uh, the airport, to me anyway, uh, feels like a prison, like everyone's in limbo. Everyone has a terminal of their own, if you will. If you look at all the characters, they're all seemingly waiting for something inside that space. And it kind of reminded me of, like, the forest and Shakespeare and fairy tales where, like, people get lost in the woods and then time is stopped, you know? And so they have to kind of make do with that place where they are at that moment in time, you know? So there's you know, a little bit of there's a little bit of magic, there's a little bit of enchantment, there's, you know, the airport itself is a little bit maze-like. You never really know where you're headed. You don't know which corridors actually connect, you know, a little bit. Of, everything seems to be unfamiliar. <laughs> and also or, or which
2: one is actually in use. You know, that comes into play. Yeah, that I one's mean-
0: too. Yeah, that was kind of cool. But um I don't know, man. I, I mean, I think the, the funny part of the terminal for me, you know, breaking it down was that, A lot of people, like if we're doing it for the Grand Jester, you know, the meet-cute, which one would you consider to be the meet-cute? Normally, most people would say that it's the relationship between Tom Hanks and Catherine Zeta-Jones, you know, Victor and Amelia. And
2: that's about – I'm sorry. Uh, And just to clarify that, I think that is about a half hour in uh, where she – her heel breaks and she stumbles in front of him and – they have this bit where he's 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 pointing out where she can get some some solid footwear, some shoes. And I mean, she literally just yeah, falls shoes into it. him. Yeah, uh, I would say that's, you know, it's pretty cute for, for a rom-com. But uh, I wouldn't say that the rest of the film and their dynamic is particularly tropey. That might be as tropey as it gets is that she just sort of trips and enters his world.
0: Well, see, the meat cute for me isn't even between them. You just pointed out of the course. fact that she's the heel. The meat cute to me is between Victor <laughs> and, and Dixon, the Stanley Tucci and um, and Tom Hanks. To me, those that's the relationship. That's the romantic comedy at the essence of it, right there. And I think that you know, and they
2: have a lot of banter.
1: Okay, D- n- new government revolution. You understand? So all the flights in and out of your country have been suspended indefinitely. And the new government has sealed all the borders, which means that your passport and visa are no longer valid. So currently, you are a citizen of nowhere. Now, even if we could get you new papers, we couldn't process them until the United States recognizes your country's new diplomatic reclassification. Yeah, see, you don't qualify for asylum, refugee status, temporary protective status, humanitarian parole, or non-immigration, work, travel, or diplomatic visas. You don't qualify for any of these things. You are at this time simply... Unacceptable. 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 Mm -hmm. Big Apple Tour include Brooklyn Bridge, Empire State, Broadway Show, Cats. Well, I got more bad news for you, Mr. Noworski. Cats has closed. Okay. okay. <laughs> no, I go New York City. Thank no. you, Mr. Naborski, look, I cannot allow you. you to enter the United States at this time. Uh, Kirkovski, uh, we can't allow you to go home either. Right. Krakosia. And the thing is, you don't really have a home. Yes. You don't. Technically, it doesn't exist. I mean, it's a, it's like a it's like a Twilight Zone. Do you ever see that show? Yes. Huh? Did we get that show over there? Yes. Yes. Uh, Talking Tina, Nightmare at Thirty Thousand Feet, Zanti Misfits. So, Zanti Misfits. That's out of limits, sir. Uh, okay. Was not important. Anyway, where do I buy the Nike shoes?
0: They do, I mean, but even the relationship—the way it started—is over food. You know, they have this kind of weird uh, incident where. Uh, Victor is explaining, trying to explain a situation to Dixon, and then you have the apple and you have the bag of chips, and you know it's mm-hmm. just this weird incident. Normally, where you'd have the, uh, how could I put it, uncomfortable situation where, like you talked about earlier, when Catherine Zeta-Jones, you know, just falls into him. Well, in this case, you'd have Stanley Tucci actually pouring food onto him, not necessarily by accident. So that's kind of subverting a little bit of the the weird tropes that you'd have in romantic comedies that are kind of happenstance, if you will. And so I always thought that the, the, the relationship between Victor and Dixon was uh, the, 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 the romantic comedy aspect, the idea that these two are going to be playing against each other in this relationship, and that the heel is actually Catherine Zeta-Jones, hence the fact that she actually breaks it. She's the <laughs> one that's going to be interrupting the whole, the, the whole relationship between – she's the distraction, if you will, mm. uh, coming in to interrupt the relationship between Stanley Tucci and, uh, and Tom Hanks. You know, and so I thought it was kind of fun to see that, you know, how Victor himself tries to stay faithful to Dixon. You know, when he has that camera hovering over when Dixon says, OK, you, you kind of got to go now. You have to leave. This is the, the exit. I'm going to move the guards and all that. And it's kind of giving, giving, him, giving him a chance. Out. Yeah, giving him a Give him, chance. But,
2: not, but to break the he law. Still be, yeah, yeah. He, he's still not setting him up for, uh, you know, doing this the correct way. It would be – he's just uh, – uh, kicking the bucket down the road and it would be someone else's problem and it's gonna be a problem for victor when kind he of. gets caught
0: but the fact that victor stays and he says i'm staying that's a sentence that you usually get from like men that are in relationships with 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 women normally and you're like how, how what do i have to do to prove myself to you in a sense you know so that's kind of a, a weird subversion of that little trope as well and the fact that he's going to stay there and prove himself a, a, a loyal person to whatever the hell's going on at that moment in time you know, And so I always thought that that was the meet-cute. The, the relationship itself is That's really between Victor and Dixon as opposed to with Catherine Zeta-Jones and, and um, Hanks, and that, which comes like so much farther into the movie. I think, like you said, you pointed out it was roughly 20, 30 minutes in?
2: I think it's at least thirty minutes, because uh, that's the only thing I made a note of because thinking about this as a possible, you know, rom com for this show. Right. I was like, well fuck me. Where's Katherine Zeta Jones in this? I was like, good <laughs> God. <laughs> Maybe I've misremembered yeah. this. Uh I did remember, you know, I pointed out I didn't I don't you know, I still don't like uh the Tooch here. Uh because he's like, you know, white collar, middleman reprehensible throughout most of the film as far as how he treats people. Now I, I like the light touch that Spielberg has. You know, you even have the guy that he's going to uh be promoted into his position, this this right. older man uh who does call him out on that. And it's like, you know, hey you have to, you know, you have to treat people as people. There needs to be a bit of humanity to how you do this job. It is yeah. a numbers game and it's about literally moving people in one direction, moving them in and out of this facility. Um but He's, I mean, he's rough. Uh, he's a rough character. That the the meat cute that you mentioned there. I also made a note of, you know, for someone that's uh, is old fashioned with his uh, lunch that he's bringing to work with like mm-hmm. a huge, like almost you know, pale, like old fashioned, yeah. which I think is cool. Uh, I like that like little bit of uh, you know, sort of character design and and what uh, what they use as props because it's like you you can see this guy seeing himself as like uh, a man out of step and out of time. Like he sees himself as someone of like old fashioned. Values right. as far as getting things done and doing things in a professional manner. Right. And uh, Victor's the opposite of that. But on that lunch thing, and that meat cute when he uses the chips as a prop to explain to him the situation. Yeah,
0: this is a bit awkward.
2: <laughs> it, this fucking explodes, man. He takes the fist to it and I'm like, that was your lunch. Like, he
0: actually <laughs> slams the sugar. apple down, which to <laughs> yeah. me is, a, is an interesting paradox. Why, like, when you look at the lunch itself, it actually shows both sides of who that character is. He'll have the junk potato. Chip mm-hmm. bag the 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 fact that he can be fun with the apple of the guy that's actually trying to be healthy and abide by whatever rules you have to do for feeding yourself in a very strict rigid manner. They say an apple a day keeps the doctor away, and I thought that was interesting. You'll have Tucci that's going to throw the the, the chips on to Victor, but at the same time, that is his lunch. You know, he would have probably liked to have that a little bit later in the day, but he keeps the apple intact. So it shows you a little bit of the character that that guy has as well. And I understand what you're saying, but I thought that. Tucci was actually charming in his way because he's only trying to do good as doing a good job. You know what I mean? And, I mean, that's kind of respectable. Most people, like, well, especially where – not where I work, but, I mean, we've all worked jobs where people just keep complaining all the time about what they're doing and all that. And we have kind of a guy that's probably – You know, maybe not the best example to follow as as someone who really wants to do his work correctly. But I've worked with a guy like that. You know, (laughs) he never blew any chips on me or anything like that. But he was a guy that (laughs) really was a very strict guy and, you know, played by the rules. And so I think it's kind of interesting. I think that maybe they did go a little bit over the top. Like you're saying, you know, this is very much post 9-11 you know three years later so i mean airport security is going to play into that quite a bit we get a little bit of glimpse of that as well with the pills and the the russian dude a little bit later in the movie but
2: i want to get into that further yeah
0: yeah but i mean I, i i under i understand that sometimes it's very difficult to understand his motivation to kind of just constantly be punishing victor but you know I don't know for some reason I thought that was kind of uh, cute. it felt like he was still trying to get his attention in a way you know
2: well it's interesting because uh, and we'll move into the breakup because I think it's I think it's that scene where um, you know he is uh, brought Victor in and basically has put him uh, into you know an even smaller prison cell you know he's allowed him free reign to a certain extent in the terminal right. uh, and, yeah, and he brought Victor him to- has made has made a home for himself. Uh, he ends up finding work, uh, yeah. under the table work, uh, doing construction in there because I mean, he's just a wizard, he does it just for fun, basically, <laughs> to, to get that job yeah. and make himself a nicer home. Uh, which you know, that that probably plays in the fact this is a Spielberg movie, and there's a little bit of a fantasy element that he would oh, be able to yeah. do that, yeah. obviously. Um, but when you come to the fact that we're dealing with a man who's bringing pills in, and, and we learn uh, for his, his dying father, um, yeah. and he's not, he's not followed uh, the letter of the law, the red tape, where he has uh, basically permission from an authority figure, a medical provider, to transport this uh, mm-hmm. to his destination. And it's one of those things where it's clear that this guy thought he was doing – I mean he's certainly going to a lot of trouble to travel to get the appropriate um, you know, pills for his father. Right. And he doesn't understand you know, why, because obviously there's a language barrier, there's a cultural barrier. Yeah. So Victor is brought in uh, just to repeat back, you know, the rules to him. Basically just like Tucci just needs him there to just like tell him what I'm, you know, he's not going to change his mind. This is not, I'm not opening a dialogue for a conversation. I just want him to understand the rules that he's yeah. breaking and I'm telling him no, like, you tell him no for me, right? Uh, I really like that scene. Uh, that one is also you know heavily dramatized because you, that's when you get to see Frank uh, Dixon's character really, I guess, break bad in a way. He gets he may have been sort of annoyed and perturbed with Victor's unwillingness to break the rules, right. which I, that's what I love about the relationship. Is here's a guy that's so strict that can't find. The humans that he's talking to can't find their own humanity. When he's looking in the eye, wouldn't you have a guy weeping from him? And what he's asking Victor to do is to break the rules. He's asking him to do something he would never do. Like he's such a stickler for the rules. And in that scene, uh, Victor figures out the playbook. He figures out here's the workaround because he's had nothing but time to sort of try to figure out his situation and gives this man the out, therefore Mm -hmm. a goat. Yeah. I think it's a great scene. I could see, though, that this scene. Would really be like waving a red flag to the haters of the terminal because it really rides that line between sort of a cute outcome with Victor like doing the goat sounds and everything. Right. But for me, it's, it's classic Spielberg. I think that scene is like he gets right to like sort of the emotion and just like the decency of usually his lead characters. And of course, you have Tom Hanks doing it. So yeah, I love that moment. That
0: works. I completely agree with that. You know, I, I've, I've heard people say that it was like overly dramatic. I mean, it, it takes a, a sharp right turn in terms of emotion and, and tone mm-hmm. compared to what we've been. You know, it was very light when we we're talking about uh, Gupta or even Diego Luna's character throughout the movie and even Zoe Zaldana. There's a playfulness there. And when we get to that scene, you're like, oh, my God, this is this get, became real very quick. These are probably incidents that we that that happen. I, I have no idea. I can only speculate with regards to that.
2: But yeah, especially definitely. post 9-11, as you said, yeah, probably people are yeah. put in a position where they would want to break the rules, but they're just fucking afraid. That's like, if I do anything outside the bounds of my job here, my mandate, then it's going to be on me if something else goes wrong, if I'm wrong in this situation. So I could definitely see people, you know, unable to, to see the person in front of them post 9-11 world.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I agree with you that that scene could actually be the potential breakup uh, but I also kind of saw it as, um, you know, Victor does kind of break the rules. You know what I mean? And I f- I figured that to an extent that would be somewhat of a little bit of a grand gesture as well. And the the, fa- the fact was. that he was, he was kind of trying to break the rules in order to please, I think, Dixon. Because I think Dixon really wanted to push him to do that. But I think that the breakup comes from the fact that Dixon was like, you screwed me. Uh, you weren't supposed to break the rules. You were supposed to uphold. You were supposed to defend my point of view. And this is where the breakup right, actually right, right. comes in. So, yeah, I think that that would be the, the, the clever way of looking at it. Very cool. Yeah, man.
2: I don't know if there. I mean, if you're going to the standard romance here, I suppose the, the breakup with, like, Catherine Zeta-Jones' character, which, you know, it doesn't ever progress too far. And I actually do like that about the film. Yeah, the, the, yeah. I don't really think the, the relationship that uh, Hanks has with her in this film has much of a third act I think it has like a first and second act, but the, I mean, it's, it's pretty much that she just says, no, like this is, this is kind of my life and I'm, you know, I'm going to go back to it. I'm not going to leave this, this sort of comfort zone that I'm in, even if she does have complaints about it. But as far as their situation, she does show him a kindness and she continues to, she kind of uses her unhappiness with her situation to like do one nice thing for him. I think she has a mini grand gesture for him. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Their, uh, their breakup is certainly, and it's over with pretty quickly, thankfully, is, uh, when she finds out that, you know, this is something he's trying to tell her that he lives in the airport, because he's right, always kind yeah. of saying, yeah, you know, I'll be here. Yep. If you come back, I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll just, she thought it was a I'll catch up with, flyer, with you. Or so, yeah. 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 Like, Someone like, you know, like her up in the air, like George Clooney or something. Um, and she, she questions him, but I, I like the way it's handled in this film where he quickly, I mean, he quickly yet again just shows what a good guy he is. You know, it oh, does, it's not yeah. like she runs away and then it's like, you know, weeks go by and she's angry at him for weeks. It's like she asks him and he attempts to say, well, like, well, I tried to tell you, but let me show you in a way. Like, I, I don't have the words for it, so I'm going to show you with something, like, I've made made just for yeah, you. Yeah, the
0: Thousand Fountains. Yeah. There, the whole yeah. Oh, thing it's beautiful. How could you not? Him.
2: I mean... Yeah, especially, as I said, Tom Hanks playing this part. How long are you going (laughs) to stay mad at him when he builds that for you? My goodness. And then he's so angry that the water doesn't work right. Oh, yeah. Stomping around. Damn it.
0: I I understand. I mean, the relationship between Victor and Amelia to me is incidental to the frustration that Amelia feels toward her romantic relationship, the one with the other guy. And I wouldn't say that she likes Victor in any romantic fashion, but that she kind of wishes the other dude was more like him. And she would be kind of ready to commit, you know, that that grand gesture that she does, you know, having those papers at the end that that actually help Victor. They don't really mean anything because eventually the war ends in Krakosia and he can actually – Krakosia, sorry, I have to pronounce Mm. it the way he does. But that's it. I mean, so it was – I think that that would be the the, 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 – you know, if you look at any romantic comedy, that would be the. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example, like from The Devil Wears Prada. You know, you'll have Anne Hathaway's character that has her boyfriend, the baker. But then after that, she goes off and meets with the the blonde guy because he's a publisher, and she could actually do that. You know, I think Catherine Zeta Jones is that blonde guy from The Mentalist. I think, you know, in the that that kind Simon of baker. temptation. Yeah. You know, the, the I don't remember what it is. If there's a the term for it in in the, in, in, in romantic comedies, is is that the heel? No, is it what is it?
2: I think you it's know? called the, uh, the Mike, the Michael, I think is what it's called, the, the Temptation. Okay, is Always, of course, yeah. It's, it's my namesake, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Not the Sounds Dave, good. of course.
0: <laughs> but that's it. I think that, you know, I think that. You know victor does want to please her but he's always he's pl- trying to please everybody else he he has some sort of an infatuation for her as well uh and he feels that he could probably open up to her because they seem to be in this limbo together where they're actually living in the airport uh, expecting something to happen you know uh, somewhere along the lines but i really feel that you know even the little um um you know, evening they spend together, that supper that they have, you know, where Gupta's, you know, playing with, like juggling and, and he's, uh, you know, spinning those plates and whatnot. You know, that's the, the magical element I was talking about, about being in, in that, that suspended time where, you know, nothing really goes forward. But eventually they have to go back to their realities. Victor has to go back to Dixon and, you know, Amelia has to go back to the guy at the top of the stairs, uh, you know, the, the 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 one at the top of the escalator. So, you know, life, life goes uh, – life finds a way, you know. But, I mean, life goes back <laughs> to normal <laughs> for them anyway in, in their context.
2: Well, that's, uh, that's interesting. Like the suspended time element is almost a staple of rom-coms anyway because you yeah. usually don't see too much of the real life. Even if they – you know, or or romances in the workplace where maybe you see it's usually something in New York and they work in a magazine and they don't ever really seem to do shit. Like they're just sort of they're, they're at the office the to talk about their <laughs> exactly. relationships. That's yeah. all they do. They they hang out with their buddies and talk about who they're sleeping with. Uh but the terminal actually I mean that's that's part of the damn plot is that if given the time, like what would characters do if they if they had a, a timeout? And it seems like the Zaya Jones character is saying like if she could just stop and breathe for two seconds. Maybe yeah. she would be a completely different person. Mm-hmm. And Victor is someone that this has been forced upon him. Uh, but it seems, it doesn't seem like he really needed it that much. Like he was already, like we learned at the end of the film that he was yeah, taking time goal, off yeah. his, yeah, his—he was taking time out of his normal life to complete something for his father. Right. Like, you know, this was—it's very important to him. Yep. But it's—it's it's something that he's made time to do, and mm-hmm. it's like—it's just—it's not even a question. It's like, of course, I would complete this. Like, and what I like about the ending is that you know we learned his father was a huge jazz fan, and I get the impression that Victor's not. Or Victor doesn't really know much about it, other than what his father said. Mm -hmm. But like that scene where he goes, you know, to the jazz club finally when he's uh, and I'm skipping a little bit ahead uh, past another grand gesture. Uh, But when he sits there, like you know, he came just to get that signed, and he's already like, you know, he's already sort of shaking that he's going to complete this task. Uh, But this this guy, the sax player, is like, well, just hang on a second, and it gives Victor a little bit of time to just enjoy what his father yeah, loved time. about jazz. I think it's a great scene. I love yeah, it.
0: Beautiful scene, man. And It ends super well too. I won't get into exactly what I think, you know, you know, cause the whole movie could act as a metaphor for something else, but we'll get into that a little bit later, but I agree. And I hadn't seen that, you know, the act, the, the fact that he actually does sit down and take time in a place that, where he can reminisce and think about what this meant to his dad. And he's, you know, he waited so much time in that terminal. What's, you know, 30 extra minutes to just bask right, in right. whatever in the completion of his own task, you know, the idea that he's going to fulfill this promise that he made to his father. Yeah, that's great, man. I love that.
2: Let's get to the grand gesture with your relationship cuz I like it better. Let's let's get to Dixon's grand gesture. Uh obviously it was Victor is that he, you know, he does let him go. I yeah. mean, he attempts to, he does everything in his power to stop him, but at the very end he has a chance to drag this out further. Yeah, and it's like he has, he has a smile on his face that he's finally yeah. out of the terminal. Oh, I was I always thought that was interesting because considering how far he has taken it, as far as lining up the guards, everything, and he does seem angry that they are breaking the rules to allow Victor to leave finally.
0: Yeah, because it's not. But him. then he stops. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't get. But when he has a chance six. to chase him down,
2: yeah, he he smiles and is like, you know what, we've got we've got work to do. We've got a lot of people coming through here. We have got to take care of them.
0: Yeah. And what's that, what's that sentence they usually, that, that cheesy sentence they usually say is that if you love this person, then you can let them go. You know what I mean? Then you'll be able to let them go. And I think that Spielberg is literally playing on that. You know, the idea of taking that cheese ball sentence and saying, well, this is my version of that. You know, it's like, he did love Victor to the point where he was like, okay, well, you know, our, our, our time together has come to an end. I have to let him go. And so I thought that was really, really great because Victor does try to buy you know, they, they both have these little exchanges, sometimes over food. Uh, you know, uh, Dixon offers him a sandwich at one point, you know, instead of blowing the chips all over him, like, like the, that weirdness at the beginning. Uh, I think one of my favorite scenes is when, um, you know, Victor has won that giant, Bass, you know, the with the, the <laughs> Yeah. And he brings it over and he says, Hey, I, I brought it because he was like, Look, I uh, it's one of those things that when your girlfriend comes home sometimes, it's like, oh, I was I was shopping, I was thinking of you, and look, I, I got you this, you know. And so Victor was like, I got you a fish to go with the rest of your collection. <laughs> it's one of those little items, you know, that I think that was it's a really cute moment between those two guys. And <laughs> Dixon is just kind of telling him "Ah, I don't want to talk to you I don't want to see or anything like that and then Victor goes like well okay I get it you don't like fish and he just walks away and takes the fish with him I thought it was great so you have these mini little things these little courtships that are going on at that moment in time but I agree with you at the end of the movie Dixon you know letting him go that that's that's a a touching little moment between those two characters where they're like you know what that's the end of it we've spent our time together and we gotta let each other go you know he lets victor complete uh, his journey and he goes back to doing what he was supposed to be but at the same time he learned a little bit more about what it is to be human by seeing everybody else interact with victor and he's like probably we have a lot of people coming through here and now we have to get them going you know it's that 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 time is finished now it's like time starts moving forward again starting at that moment in time
2: well i liked what you said uh about him uh learning a little bit because that's probably as far as you can push this character because uh, yeah, you yeah. sort of saw him as a uh, commitment phobic, which you see in rom coms all the oh, time, there you go, especially man. from the I male figure. That. And so, you know, he's someone that he's shown a little bit more interest than usual in Victor, just because he's he's so strangely obeying these these rules that yeah. no human would, like nobody would volunteer to stay in the terminal and just make their way with no money, uh, mm. not knowing how to speak uh, the English language. He has to learn everything, like start over. But he's still like Dixon is asking people, "What is he carrying in that coffee can?" Like, yep. and that that yeah. that's out of character for him because even at the end, he's saying, "We've got a lot of people. We've got to send them home." And for the most part, all he really cares about is them getting from A to B as seamlessly as possible. Yeah. He he doesn't want to interrupt their lives. He doesn't want to know about who they are. And I like that he has he starts to develop. Uh, I mean, he. It's probably you know, not only unprofessional because I think the other workers look at this as very strange that he's watching Victor's movements, cameras. It's like you have such a big picture thing where it's like you know, you're know you moving all these people to New York City. Yeah. And yet you're focused on this one guy. One guy. And it's really – it's probably just really unhealthy for this guy who can't make that commitment on a personal level to people to become that fascinated with one individual. So I think there's also relief. When he sees Victor fly away, oh, as you said. Oh, that's a good said, point. Yeah, man. It's just like, okay, good. I can get back to myself. Because that was unhealthy for me, because that's just not who I am to be that focused on one single person.
0: Yeah, I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I think, that, you know, the, the cameras is something that I had picked up on as well. You know, the fact that were, we're constantly watching these individuals. I mean, you have TVs and he's seeing what's going on at home. And then after that, you'll have the cameras moving around. Uh, Dixon is watching through there. You'll have the police uh, or the the security guards that are actually watching through there as well. And it becomes kind of this like, strange little reality show, you know, the, the like, um, uh, I don't know, what's that that movie with Jim Carrey again, the Truman Show? Truman where, Show, yeah. Where you have that guy that's just stuck in this place where, you know, basically controlled environment, and everyone's watching his every move. And so, yeah, uh, I do agree with you, the fact that there might actually be relief at the end of that, you know, the fact that he won't be on the screens anymore, and he can actually go back to focusing on, on security itself, you know, but I love the fact that he won't – that Dixon won't break the rules, but he's hoping that the people around him won't be like him. You know, the Mm -hmm. fact that he's trying to impose that onto Victor is something that's kind of interesting because even like, you know, whenever we're growing up, you know, you have that, that speech from our parents normally that we're going to say, well, I'm going to try to not repeat what my parents did to me, you know, so I want you to try to do different things. And so I feel like he has this, this duty to, to kind of get Victor to, I don't know, just be something he's not, you know. Break the rules. Don't be like me, you know. Uh, that that's a little bit naive of me, obviously, because he he just basically says throughout the movie, well, he'll be somebody else's problem. I don't know if there's part of me that doesn't believe that. I think that mm. if Victor left too early, then you know, I think that Dixon would actually miss him. But that's speculation on my part. But It'd at be the a end, of,
2: disappointment. Yeah,
0: yeah, he'd be like, oh, he's just another one of those people that breaks the rules, you know. So right, yeah, he holds his own in this case. I think it's good
2: is there um something you can take from this film as far as the I'm, I'm sure I mean I'm hoping you've not had this type of stay in an airport or this type of delay no man but in your in your personal life has uh has that sort of forced waiting room of sort situation with a relationship helped you is and that can be a friendship or romantic where it's just like something comes up where it sort of forces you to take a little bit more time than you maybe initially wanted to uh, that yeah. is, has helped you
0: yeah i yeah, <laughs> I could get personal on this. Sure, no problem. Uh, the relationship I'm in with now, with uh, with my my beautiful girlfriend Leslie, uh, started off kind of rocky. Uh, in a situation where I was with somebody else, someone that was very unhealthy in in my life, uh, kind of like the Catherine Zeta-Jones character, if you will. Uh, stuck with that guy, <laughs> not, so not I, her. I, I'm the okay, woman yeah. right now. <laughs> and... Okay,
2: I was going to say because she's she's fine. You know, she's not she's not horrible in this film. No, no, no. Character. But I mean, like
0: the the fact that you know she's with this other person, mm-hmm, and sure. uh, I was just in a, in a very toxic relationship, and I wasn't necessarily ready to get out of it. I was calculating a little bit how I wanted to get out of the relationship so I could actually pursue the relationship that I'm in now, and um, it kind of drove her away. Because she had already broken up with her boyfriend at that point in time. And she was waiting for me. And I still hadn't found the, the balls to just break up with the woman I was with. You know, knowing full well that it was going to be beneficial for me, beneficial for mm-hmm. my kids uh, in the end. Because it was just a terrible, terrible relationship. And so she, I, I pushed her into the arms of another dude. Uh, and I was like, oh, man, look at you. You just fucked this up so bad, dude. So uh, but in the end. I, I I learned from that, you know, that distance that she had, I, I uh, that she, she went away for that time. I spent uh, the better part of four or five months alone uh, just kind of contemplating, you know, trying to learn from that mistake, just growing up a little bit and all that. And, and I'm all the better for it now because we've been together for for quite a, t- we don't know exactly what the date is or how long we've been together because it was just, like I said it was a rocky start, but uh-huh. but it's been great because of that. So yeah, that that four or five month period that limbo I was in really helped me to kind of clean up a little bit of how I was feeling about that, that situation. So yeah, it's relatable for me a little bit. Yeah,
2: I hope you both agree on that uh, not deciding on a date because if it's just oh, you, she's aware, just- man. Yeah, she's, she's okay. She's you're intrigued. just being an ass if it's just you. No, 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 <laughs> this no Moving no, target. No. <laughs> not at all. Um, I'm reminded of another, uh, Catherine Zaya Jones part, um, in my life, uh, High Fidelity. Like, uh, do you, have you, seen, I'm sure you've seen High Fidelity.
0: I'm really sorry to report that I have not seen Oh
2: man. I, that, dude, that's like i a, I'm
0: not a, I'm not a Cusack fan. That's the
2: problem with but me. But it's a, as a, uh, as a consumer of pop culture, like if you could just replace records and music with movies, it. It so fits if you've got like a collector's mentality, right. you got to see it. Like so, okay, um, I'll check it out. Please. All right, well, it's not too specific, but anyway, he's uh, the premise of that I've film been, is so right. He's he's going back and sort of revisiting sort of like you know his his breakups and sort of what went wrong, you know, seeing what's wrong with him basically. And, uh, there was one Catherine Zeta Jones character that was beautiful and he always felt outclassed and was always trying to play catch up in a way. And there have definitely been, uh, you know, women in my life where I've felt like, man, I don't know how the hell, how the hell did I find myself in this situation? Because they're going to wake up and be like, uh, no, Mike's no good, obviously. And so I'm just sort of, <laughs> I'm just sort of hanging out just sort of like, okay, that right, right. the, you know, the, the blades going come down, the axe is going to chop the head off any, any time soon, but I'll enjoy myself while I can. <laughs> uh, and it's funny, like when you, you live in that sort of fear and then you remove yourself from it yeah. when you, when you have time to sort of assess and you're like, nah, fuck them. I mean, this probably isn't like a healthy thing, but I'm like, what the hell was I, you know, why the hell was I building that person up? Like, actually, if you, the the longer you're with them, even when you expect this to be like a short sort of like fling of sorts, where it's like, wow, I was with this beautiful, charming woman and I'm going to be found out the, I guess the shitty thing or the good thing is then you start finding them out where you're like, eh. I don't know. Like, you know, maybe I shouldn't jump to those sort of conclusions and thinking they're totally great and I totally suck. Oh, yeah. This is probably going to make me sound like a total narcissist, but it's like it is a little bit of a self-esteem boost. Yeah. And I think that sometimes that initial infatuation, as fun as it can be, can be really unhealthy Mm -hmm. in that way. If you constantly try to, like a drug, hit that infatuation high and don't treat them as a real human being. For better or worse, so. Uh,
0: but I mean, those are things that I still struggle with today. Even depending on who I meet and all that, you know. Depending on 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 status where there are in, in society, I mean, you, you encounter that every day of your life. And you're like, how am I supposed to treat this person? <laughs> you know. So mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I think you know. When I get to my dad's age, I'll probably won't give a shit anymore. Dad's like going to be sixty-two, so he probably be like, "Yeah, you know, fuck that person. Doesn't matter anymore."
2: Yeah. <laughs> there is a there is a certain comfort in being the uh, the cantankerous old man that uh, hopefully <laughs> I live long enough to become. I'm probably already in that. I think people already accuse me of, of uh, having that sort of persona. But it's ah, a facade, Mike. You softy. I, I am I'm a total softy. Uh, <laughs> you know it. My my friend, the Canadian, knows it, of course. <laughs> uh, do you get you got anything else on the terminal, or do you want to wrap up and pimp out your show again?
0: Oh man, I got a, I got a few other things I wanted to ask you about this. Um, sure, go ahead. To me. Uh, you know, obviously, communication is is uh, is one of the main themes in the movie, and because the uh, you know Spielberg has gone on record many many times saying that he had a little bit of an awkward relationship with his father, you know, communication breakdown, barriers and whatnot, and he wasn't necessarily that close with his dad. I always thought that it was interesting how the terminal itself played into a little bit of that relationship with him, kind of maybe making the promise to his father that he would live up to something. Uh, And the fact that, uh, you know, Krakosia isn't a real place, uh, from what I've researched anyway, it's actually a fictional uh, country. And but I felt that that kind of represented the uh, the, fa- the familial unit that's normally there in in uh, Spielberg's films and the idea of divorce, the idea that you're going to have these two civil wars clashing, you know, one one side would be the mother and the father and not necessarily knowing where it is. And then you'll have Tom Hanks' character, Victor, who's going to be in the child in the middle of all that gets kind of stuck between, you know, those two locations, whether or not he, he decides to side with one place or the other, and in this case would be with the father. I always thought that the film itself could be interpreted as the filmmaking process is what I'm getting to. The idea that inside that terminal you'll have it as sort of like a studio where Dixon is one of the head producers of the studio, and you'll have projects that are either uh, greenlit or you know they flat out get the red light, you know, which would be Zoe Zaldana's character that's kind of like, you know, giving that red stamp. Nope, not today. We don't like that idea. You're not going to be going through this. But then he finally gets that green stamp and he goes on to make those movies. And so I thought the little individual segments that you could have, you know, the segment with Gupta explaining his his life. As well, uh, you know, the fact that he's a wanted man, I think it's in India, uh, wanting to go back to his family, the grand gesture that he does, you know, by, uh, uh, you know, making the plane wait and all that. Um, I thought that would be like a movie that Spielberg would have made, you know, or, or even the incident with uh, Catherine Zeta Jones was another movie that Spielberg would have made. Oh, that's or interesting. The, you know, the idea. It's all these
2: little mini Spielberg, yeah, films, mini the little Spielberg cool. films. Yeah, mini in, little
0: in Spielberg films and all that. And the idea after that would be, uh, you know, Being a filmmaker, you know, is always one of those uncertain professions, and this would be his way of showing his father. You know, I I can't communicate with you. The fact that you know Victor is not an American, the fact that you know his language is a barrier. You know, the cinematic language and being able to talk to someone is something very different. You know, many many artists are going to use this platform in order to convey many of their ideas because they can't sit down and talk like normal people most of the time. And I thought that this was a very clever way of. Uh, Spielberg showing that, you know, I, I can make all these things, I can create all these little different stories, but it's also to uphold a promise that I made to my father that I was going to be okay. And he fulfills that promise at the end by walking out and actually getting that, that signature for the jazz, you know, something which, uh, you know, would make Spielberg a really, really, uh, I, I think it's a beautiful gesture, you know, it would be like a, not necessarily a tribute to his father or something like that, but one of those giant hugs is like, I did this for you, you know, to show you that I'm, I'm okay. I understand all these little things that you tried to teach me throughout my life, and I've put them all in this little terminal for you to, to watch. You know, it's okay that, you know, there was a communication breakdown at the end, but I know that you guys did your best to patch it all up together, which is the end of the movie. And I'll be able to show you that in the end, I, I am actually a better person for it. I will be able to fulfill my promise to you in completing whatever the hell it is I set out to do. And so I always thought that that was a really beautiful way of looking at the movie as a metaphor for his film. Making process what he tried to do with all this, and also attribute tribute to you know how his family was and, and, and his his general uh, feelings towards that you know trapped in the terminal and by subverting all these little tropes of the romantic comedy and trying to put his Spielberg stamp on it. I thought it was a really, really cool way, and I, I, I tried to pick up a little bit more on it as I was watching it this time around. But yeah it, it fit it's fit for me, obviously, that could be reaching, and I tend to do that quite a bit, and I'm completely comfortable with it.
2: It's <laughs> a good promo for Atlantic screen connection there, you know the, the deep dive. Um, I hadn't thought about it that way. I think that's really interesting, uh, especially with the creative process angle, because you talked about all the, the little mini Spielberg films you get. you know, uh, what I find interesting in like interviews with filmmakers, musicians, what have you uh, is that time where they finally pull the trigger on any idea and you could go any number of different ways, you know, the, yeah. this, as you said, it could have been Catherine Zaya Jones movie, you know, it could have about been about her, you know, having this revital, like she's revitalized by this Tom Hanks character, but the way Spielberg shapes the, the, the love story is I don't think you ever get the impression that they're meant to just run away together. Not either. At all. Yeah, he, he doesn't, you know, and she doesn't really drive that either. She, it's like, she enjoys their conversation, but mm-hmm. it's not overly like, falling in love with this man it's it's falling love i think as you said with the idea of him like someone like him Mm -hmm. um and so with spielberg here it's like giving you all these different paths he could have taken telling the story uh i think he's sort of uh both admonishing himself as far as like you know maybe being a little bit too cute or too clever about trying to be perfect about his films Mm -hmm. and so saying like you know someone like victor You know, he just does. He just takes the opportunity to interact with these characters. Yep. Um, But eventually you have to make a choice and do your own thing. And that's what Victor clearly is doing. You know, Mm -hmm. he he stays the course and does his own thing. And so I I like that sort of push and pull with uh, creative types as far as how much they sit back and observe to get it exactly right. And when they just decide to pull the trigger and say, this is the story I'm going to tell. This is the direction I'm going to go.
0: Yeah. I completely agree. I think that's kind of cool, you know, and I think that that, you know, you, you could actually argue that the terminal itself is inside Spielberg's brain and he's kind of pushing every which way, you know, he's like, ah, oh, maybe I should go this way. Maybe I should go that way. How about I test it all at the same time? See what, see what comes out. And uh, I mean, the terminal by isn't, isn't a perfect film by any means. It is a very messy film, but it's a mess that's actually kind of fun to watch in my opinion.
2: Yeah, sure. Um I'm glad you were on this one for that because uh, <laughs> <laughs> otherwise I don't know how enthusiastic of the conversation I would have had with. You, I guess I, I probably would have got the the patented. Why did you make me watch this? Which I've had more than a few times. <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh. Um, but yeah. Any? Uh, what? What else? You have uh, any other thoughts with uh, the terminal? I'm giving yeah. you just free reign to to go. Well, yeah. I don't know. This, we, this we may be the covered, only opportunity we haven't covered have. all
0: the grand gestures that there were in the film. If you want to go through that, it is the grand. Gesture. <laughs> there There's
2: so many. Uh, In particular, with the, I mean, we we haven't talked about uh, Zoe Saldana's character and that yeah. that sort of the blind date grand gesture, yeah. The, you know that she has to take that leap that she's fallen in love with this man that she's never met just through the interactions, this uh, intermediary that is the the Victor character, Hanks coming and relaying this this person that's pursuing her and mm-hmm. wanting to know more about her, but is too scared. Uh, to, to show himself. I don't, I don't know if he's too scared or if he, he actually sort of falls in love with the, this courtship because I, I don't think he's absolutely terrified. I think maybe initially he's nervous as any man maybe would be approaching this, this woman who he admires to be very strong and, you know, very well, charming. I mean,
0: let's bring it back to what you were talking about a, a little bit earlier, you, you know, putting someone up on a pedestal like you were talking about a little bit earlier. I think that encapsulates that relationship very well. You know, what is she going to say? He can't necessarily walk up to her and say exactly how he feels, with the fear of being shut down, what does she do for as a job? She shuts people down all day long. If he walks up to her, he might get that red stamp as well, you know? So you never know. He's going through an intermediary. Well,
2: the, well also, and I think that's a good point because her character needs – probably needs a little bit more time to to wait and gather information because, as you said, she's always sort of – her job is red light or green light, yeah, you know, the red stamp or the green. And so it's either just a yes or no without yeah. too much consideration – Uh, and obviously to keep the trains running on time, you don't want her getting into it with every individual, like considering every aspect of it is pretty much, do you have the proper forms and blah, but yeah, that may have like the Dixon character, maybe her profession is bleeding into her personal life as far as how she interacts with other humans. And so this becomes a fun bit of waiting for her as well to figure out like, who is this guy and why is she like, why is he so into pursuing her? And of course they've got the, the sort of nerd the geek connection of at the end, you know, the, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And that's that, kind that of fun. Out. You
0: know, the fact that this was shot in 2003, released in 2004 and Zoe Aldana is giving her the, you know, the, the, the Spock salute. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, five years later there she is kissing Spock on screen in 2009. Sure. So I was like, yeah, that's kind of
2: interesting. Maybe that's her thing. Yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe that's something she brought to the character.
0: <laughs> uh, I thought she was great in the movie too. I mean, she really stood her own. I loved the interaction that she had with, with uh, Hanks as well. Uh, and that's that's a yeah, that's a beautiful grand gesture, you know. But the fact that he asked, he also proposes out of the blue. That that's him taking his courage as well and saying like, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. She seems to be okay with it. Let me just you know try my best to see what's going to happen.
2: Well, he knows what he wants. And he's known for a long time, but he's, uh, you know, we were talking about Spielberg pulling the trigger on the story he wants to tell, that that character, it's like, you know, he's ready to start his life. He's ready, to, you know, there's no more waiting. And so it's, I think it pairs well with Victor's plight, is that everyone else is actually getting to start their story. And, you know, his his just yep. is not yet complete. All he has to do is just get in that damn cab. If he can just get in the cab, <laughs> yeah, <you laughs> there gone. it is. So. Uh, yeah. That's
0: good. Yeah, because, I mean, he it's kind of funny because it feels like he needed to be there, like some sort of guardian angel, if you will, and and kind of help them complete their stories. Like you're saying, you know, the fact that they were able to get married, that closes that chapter. You know, the fact that Gupta actually goes home and, and confronts his own past, you know, that, that, that chapter closes there as well. Um, Catherine Zeta-Jones, I think that she goes back to being what she... Normally did I mean that's what that's what's hinted at at the end of the movie where the guy's still there and she kisses him, Dixon goes back to what he was being uh, doing as well. I was wondering if there was another character in there that that needed like a a closing some sort of a chapter. The security guard that um, that's there the the black guy. Who they're playing poker with, does he stay there? Does he decide to go someplace else? I forgot about that.
2: I think he just stays there, but I think you know his is an, an unspoken all the things that he's probably wanted to chime in on as far as how the Tooch has carried himself up to that point, you know he's always in the background. With oh not a poker that guy'm I'm,
0: ta- I'm not talking about that guy. that guy gives him the coat. I'm talking about right. the guy that uh, Gupta plays uh, poker with with uh, Diego Luna mm. and the other guy, the guy that wears the cap
2: that sort of walks him up before he sort of crosses over uh
0: i think so yeah i'm not 100 yeah. percent. there's nothing i would have you know he's the guy who lights you know the, the candles
2: right so i don't he know he just eventually has to cross back over you know into his position but i think the interesting thing with all the side characters is you know uh hanks um victor here is uh the stability of a wild card in their lives like he's <laughs> you know he's always there yeah. but they're all sort of wondering you know, he could be the one element that changes every day in their life. He, could, You know, whether he leaves or not, or what is he up to in the terminal? And, you know, he doesn't really fit into their day-to-day process of their lives. But I think everyone needs that. You need that one spark that, of possibility. And that's what he seems – I think that's why people open up to him, is that he represents sort of the possibility of change. Because it's always elusive to his character. But to them, it's just some new uh, variable that's been introduced to their life. And is always – I mean – Just the way he operates in the terminal, there's a new variable. Either what he's building or what he's constructing or relationships he's forming, uh, he's the catalyst for a lot of these things. Um, But I think like uh, Dixon, I think at a certain point you probably want that that spark to go away. I don't know if you want your (laughs) entire life to be in complete upheaval as far as what this one person could sort of force you to face.
0: Oh, definitely. I agree. Uh, one of the things that I thought was actually kind of cool is that uh, Spielberg didn't play too much on the American dream trope that usually is in the mm. you know, romantic comedies. You know, I feel like the interesting part of, of this is that you'll have, um, you know, Gupta goes back home. He, he's not living the American dream at all. He's mopping floors and whatnot. You know, even Diego Luna's character and, and Zoe Zaldana's character, they do get married, you know, so that's the symbolic ending of a comedy, usually when we're talking about Shakespeare. And I think that, It's kind of interesting because they'll go on to possibly have their American dream, but it's not that. It's really about them and not necessarily what their future uh, holds, you know. And Victor, that's the one thing—he doesn't come to the United States to 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 have a better life, like you pointed out at the beginning of the show. It's actually kind of wonderful. He has a purpose, and once he's done, Mm -hmm. he'll just leave, you know. And normally, that's not what happens. Whenever you feel, whenever you have those movies where people are coming from the outside, it's because they want to make it, you know. Should have been a very weird version of scarface you know this time around
2: <laughs> well i mean he's just you know he's just causing people throughout the city to fall in love with each other you know he's yeah. just there to he's like to be puck, a, a sh- man in a, in yeah, a summer night's yeah. dream <laughs> yeah uh that's it's sort of a weird image with hanks as puck especially in this, <laughs> in this state maybe it was in the 80s when he was younger but yeah um i think i think i'm good on i'm the good terminal, man so. no problem you know what? I think our listeners probably are too. They're like, Jesus Christ, these guys Talks. went on for a damn near hour on the terminal, but <laughs> no, I think it was terminal. good. That was fun. You, you you caused me to look at it in a different way. And I'm even someone who enjoyed it. You know, I obviously, cause I scheduled the damn thing. So I wasn't, <laughs> you know, I was, I was ready to defend it, but yeah, that, that was a cool conversation. So, uh, uh, a sort of a mini Atlantic Screen connection. You know, I brought in a smart guy to talk about films, <laughs> and so yeah, this, this is what you will get from your show. So, so pimp it out to our listeners uh, yet again. Uh, if you missed Jason the first time around on the Night and Day episode, which, you know, also a lot of Night and Day haters out there, including yeah. uh, I believe ourselves, kind of on that episode. Yeah, we kind of a times. little
0: bit lukewarm on that one. That was the one. Yeah. yeah. And here I yeah. am defending the Terminal now. <laughs>
2: sure. Sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah so uh, yeah you can you guys can find like I said Atlantic Screen Connection podcast uh we usually do deep dives or in-depth uh, discussion on films um our most recent episode was the uh, our, our top films of 2017, which was a fun recording, uh, a little bit more laid back than our usual stuff. We took two deep dives, one into The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, but you know, I don't want anybody to come listen to those because all they do is complain about Star Wars now instead of being excited for it. So there's a bunch of stuff there. One of my favorite episodes this, uh, this season was uh, Mother, a movie that I really, really enjoyed. So, yeah, have at it. Go, go give us a listen, you know. And so big shout-out to my, my co-host, Lee Brady. And, again, thanks again for, for having me on. I always love talking with you. And uh, it's a shame Dave couldn't be here, but it doesn't matter. I'll give him a big hug next time.
2: Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't welcome. He he would have been the toot here. He would've <laughs> asking us to play the, the rules of please not talking about the I terminal, could hear him right but...
0: now. Oh God. Just in yeah, the corner yeah. of the
2: <laughs> Yeah. Um that that's interesting. Uh on the uh the last Jedi episode you're you're not referring people to because uh I have friends and then there's a couple guys uh that I work with that uh were last Jedi maybe not haters not in the sense like of the internet that you would see but you know they had some issues with it and they're like oh, I just don't know you know the more I think about it I, I don't know if I, I like it as much as I initially did right. and so what I've done is I've taken their phones from them and I've gone and in both cases with the guys that I work with I've had to download a podcast app for them and yeah. I didn't actually download my show like most people would, by download and had them subscribe to Atlantic Screen Connection and put the Last Jedi episode on there. That oh, was how nice. highly I thought of your all stick. So you had two random, you know, downloads from Kentucky's two guys that were. I did like, see Here Kentucky
0: go. show up in my yeah. stats. Um,
2: and so and then and the worst thing was they don't even use iPhones. So I, a couple of times I'm like, Oh, what is this crap? What is the podcast app for Android? And I, <laughs> I'm having to teach myself how to do it so I can put this on there. But uh, uh they both came back and they're like, Hey, that was a cool show. They're like, you know, so hopefully they'll they'll you do a Force Awakens episode so they'll, they'll keep checking it out. But oh, yeah. thanks, man. That's I really think nice very highly movie. of Atlantic Screen Connection. It's a great list. great listen. Uh, it's definitely a deeper dive uh, than what you get on the Grand Gesture. So that's why I invite Jason on to get a little bit of that on there. So we'll have to do it again soon.
0: Very flattering. Thank you so much, man. Big hugs from Ken <laughs>
2: And I guess a big hug to you, the listener, if you've made it through another episode of The Grand Gesture. If hugs don't do it for you, there could be some other, I guess, less pleasant social media interactions if you follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Grand Gesture Pod. We'd also appreciate a subscribe. If you're not doing so already, if this is your first episode, if you're one of the legion of Canadian fans that our guest Jason Michael has, uh, please do so through your pod player of choice. We are on Apple Podcasts and hosted on Podbean. As for next time, if you do stick around, and I do apologize, I believe the last episode I told my co-host Dave that Hellboy would be the episode sort of slotted in here, but we ran out of space on our Podbean account. So... Um, you got the Terminal, which I think it worked out. But if you would like to hear Hellboy, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link in the show notes. And you'll get access to all those episodes that we couldn't fit in in this month's data plan. I promise you they will be upcoming releases and also some exclusives. So check that out in the show notes. But I promise you, I promise you for the next one, that it will be one of two episodes. That's best I can do. To celebrate the release of Blockers, we have chosen The Cable Guy. Or for A Quiet Place, we're going to go with Your Sister's Sister. Because it's always a good time to talk about Emily Blunt on screen. She is great. We are not. But she's going to help us out. Maybe. So stick with us, and you'll find out which film we talk about next on The Grand Gesture. Thanks.